Well, good morning and welcome to Local Matters. We are talking about education matters today, and our special guest is certainly uh, an education specialist. Uh, Dr. Lisa Zagumni is Dean of the College of Education at Tennessee Tech University, and uh, it's good to have you back on the show, Lisa. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, it's it's good to have you, and uh, a lot going on. I know there's uh, a lot we need to talk about in the College of Education, but some listeners may not know you, so introduce yourself. Tell everybody a little bit about your background. Goodness. I'm, well, like President Bell said, I'm Lisa Zagumni. I'm the Dean of the College of Education at Tennessee Tech. I have been here, well, in Cookville since 93, and during that time, I am um, completed my PhD in education from the University of Tennessee. And since that time, um, well, I started out adjuncting in the Department of Curriculum and Instruction, but when Dr. Harvey Neufeld decided he wanted to retire, um, he reached out to my advisor and said, hey, do you have anybody who'd be good in this position? And so I got to meet Harvey and started learning um, from him the classes that he taught and his content and it uh, was a really nice partnership from the beginning, so those were some pretty big shoes to fill, um, but I was really excited to um, learn from Harvey and carry on that great tradition of uh, Social Foundations of Education. And uh, I knew Harvey, and he was an institution at Tennessee Tech, and you know, you and I both have been there long enough now that we can talk about those folks that were institutions, but we're sort of becoming them. Yikes, and, I hadn't thought about yeah, that. Yeah, think about that a little bit. <laughs> uh, at a dean level, yeah, you're you're gonna you're already <laughs> talked about, no question. Well, let's talk about your college. Tell us about the College of Ed. Uh, we've launched the fall semester, so how did enrollment turn out? So far, so good. We're not quite at census yet, so these are our preliminary numbers, but our fingers are crossed. Um, overall, the College of Ed is down 1.7%. Our undergrad is actually up by one and a half percent, but the graduate is down. I attribute that to the tremendous growth we had in our graduate programs during COVID. I think so, yes. And then there's this new surge in job openings um, that aren't necessarily place-based. So people are more fluid than they have been in the past. So not quite as many pursuing graduate degrees, Um, but we're still the leader in graduate education at Tennessee Tech. We make up 38% 38% of the graduate programs That's at the just university. Amazing. Yeah, engineering comes in at a close second at 18%. Well, good. <laughs> so we're, we'll just keep plugging away. And again, this is still um, preliminary numbers, so fingers crossed. But it's not unusual in a, um, in a really high employment economy when there are just a lot of jobs available that folks postpone their graduate education for a few years. It's good, though. We've got a big freshman class at Tech this year. We sure do. And that's great to see uh, see the freshmen back in Cookville. That brings mom and dad up here every few weeks. It does. And we had SOAR over the summer. We have 10 SOARs every year. And a lot of the parents that I met at our SOAR events, I'm still seeing in and around town. And these aren't local <laughs> folks. So that's encouraging. They uh, they They like to see how they're offspring are doing when they when they get in college mm-hmm. well what are some of the programs that are your most attractive your most high demand programs yep um, we have three that tend to uh, run the largest numbers 
undergrad and grad. Undergrad, it's exercise science, hands down at 30% of our overall programs. But we're seeing a lot of growth in those health and wellness service professions, like exercise science that has all of those pre-professional disciplines like pre-occupational therapy, pre-physical therapy, um, but also psychology. So there's a Mm -hmm. real push um, for, we have more psychology majors at the undergrad. They're at 18%. Um, In the graduate programs, we're experiencing a nationwide trend of people pursuing teacher licensure through alternative pathways. Our greatest numbers are coming in job embedded. So what this means is that schools can hire a person who holds a bachelor's degree, and the school provides us with a hire letter, an intent to hire letter. We make sure that that person has proven content with either their discipline-specific degree or a discipline-specific licensure exam. So once we confirm they've proven content, they can start the program. These folks will serve as the teacher of record in a classroom, and then they have three years to complete the program. Our numbers in job embedded have grown exponentially. Just five years ago, we had 24 job embedded candidates. Right now, we have 40 with another potential 12 starting this year on that alt pathway. You know, it it is great to see uh, the job embedded programs uh, doing what they're doing. Some of these folks bring tremendous technical content in in their field, and it is good to get them out in a classroom. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they got great experience to share with the with the students. Most definitely, it's really it's such a good match when they have that discipline content specific knowledge, um, and then through our program they get that pedagogy side of it. So yeah. they really know how to translate that discipline over to the students um, and are well prepared to be in a classroom. So getting them socialized into the profession while they have that discipline um, expertise, it's a really good fit. Yeah, the fact that they know a lot about mathematics or about physics or chemistry doesn't necessarily make them a good teacher. So we've, uh, but I had one of those types of individuals back even when I was in high school in Florida I grew up near the Kennedy Space Center, and uh, I had a physics professor who was a wild man, just a wild man. That's all you could say. But he, Dr. Finale, he really had a, um, a, a an interesting background, but he'd been in aerospace and, and knew NASA. And so those of us that were NASA freaks, this was a great experience, and he was a pretty good teacher because he'd gone – he'd figured it out. But it takes a special teacher side of that that discipline, too. So I'm glad that program's doing well. Uh, and while we're talking about programs doing well, you, you've sent a lot of graduates out this year. As you said, there's, there's a high demand. Uh, talk about some of your programs and, and some of the folks that have gone on. I know you've had some go to a bit unusual position like Sarah Cannon. Yep. Um, We have, well, our exceptional learning PhD program has a handful of concentrations, one of which is program planning and evaluation. And students in that concentration learn to develop programs, run programs, evaluate them, reassess and come back. Well, one of our recent grads, Daniel Sikowski, now Dr. Daniel Sikowski, um, earned his PhD in program planning and evaluation this past spring, spring of 22. 
His advisor was Dr. Amber Spears, and his research for his dissertation, he examined um, the construct validity of a major ed prep assessment, um, the ed TPA, specific to early childhood and elementary education. And he was really looking at that research side of the piece, right, in this Mm -hmm. assessment. So when he was applying for jobs, he was really interested in the research side of things, and he wanted to work for a nonprofit. And he is now working for the Sarah Cannon Research Center as a portfolio lead. So what he does at the Sarah Cannon Center is conducts research, reviews research, and develops proposals to support the mission of the center. And the mission of that center is to redefine cancer care around the world. So this is just one example of the high-impact, meaningful work um, that really bolsters tech's reputation. Yeah, going on to Vanderbilt University is not a bad bad way to do it, and the, the Sarah Cannon Center is known worldwide, so uh, that's got to be an exciting position. It is, um, and it, well, it really speaks to Daniel's particular um, interests and strengths, so they're lucky to have him, um, and I'm sure he'll do a great job. I would, I would have no, no doubt that, that he will. It's, it's fun to look at, at graduates from tech, undergrad as well as Ph.D. level graduates, uh, and some of the places they go. The master distiller at Jack Daniels Distillery has a Ph.D. from Tennessee Tech, or did. I think he's moved on now, but uh, he had a Ph.D. in environmental science, which is heavy chemistry, and mm. making whiskey has got a lot to do with chemistry. That is heavy chemistry. So... Um, <laughs> It's it's not unusual to see these graduates go into some some other places. Your undergraduate uh, alumni have done well too, though they've been placed in great positions this year. Most certainly, we historically graduate more teachers than any other ed prep program in the state, and they are placed in every county across the state. Um, so we are a strong teaching force, and we hear great things about those folks every day. Um, We just got an email from a mom who is at um, a smaller university down in the beautiful city of Chattanooga. And her daughter went through our early childhood program and graduated. Well, this is her second year as a teacher. And the principal and the uh, vice principal had just been out to do an assessment on her and she got glowing remarks. Mom reached out to us to say, thank you. Thank you for doing such a great job. Um, preparing teachers because I'm experiencing this firsthand in my profession, but here's the example from my daughter's experience. So it's really nice to hear the great things that these young people are doing. It is indeed, and that's nice of that mom to reach out. I I know I've heard from others in your college uh, that say in most years you are the largest producer of undergraduate public school faculty that go on to be teachers in public schools across the whole state. Mm-hmm. And that's um, that's a real compliment to the College of Ed. It is. And I think it's, well, I think it's our commitment to preparing great teachers, but I think it's our commitment to those partnerships with those districts. And that is all about our Office of Teacher Education. That's about our Department of Curriculum and Instruction. And those folks really working together with the districts. Um, to meet the district's needs. So that's what we're here for. 
And we're going to take a break, and then we'll come back and talk a little more about those partnerships and about some of the great things the faculty are doing in the college. This is Local Matters. We'll be right back. What's so important about shopping with locally owned businesses? When you shop local, your hard-earned dollars stay here in the community, helping to benefit your friends and neighbors, local schools, roads, and all aspects of community life. But what happens to my money if I spend it online or at a national chain store? In most cases, the profits go far away, out of state, corporate headquarters, or even overseas. It doesn't take any extra effort to shop local. Office Mart on South Jefferson and Cookville is your locally owned office furniture and supply store. For over 35 years, they've been proud to serve businesses in the Upper Cumberland with quality and value. You get real customer service, too. And unlike shopping online, you can actually see and try out the large inventory of office furniture in their showroom. And when it's delivered, it's not a box on your step. They're glad to install and set up everything. Office Mart. There's no other locally owned office store in the region. South Jefferson Avenue across from Hardee's. Shop local at Office Mart. Welcome back to Local Matters. We are talking to Dean Lisa Zagumny from the College of Ed at Tennessee Tech University. Lisa, your your faculty this year, we talked about partnerships uh, a little bit. We're going to talk more about some of the partnerships with the faculty, but they've had some pretty amazing accomplishments, and I'd, I'd like to talk with you a little bit about them. Uh, but first, uh, how many faculty are in the College of Ed, and, and where do they come from? We have 68 faculty members in the College of Education, and they come from everywhere. Um, I have folks who've, who are international, who've done their work internationally and then decided to come to tech um, from across the United States, from across Tennessee. So we've got a really nice mix of folks that, well, the faculty members are split up into three different departments. So counseling and psychology, curriculum and instruction, and exercise science. We may talk about those department chairs and that great job they do in those in those departments, but um, I, I also would like to talk some about the grants because your college uh, gets a lot of grants in a given year. So tell us about uh, about some of those. Sure. Um, last year, so the twenty one twenty two school year. We had 27 externally funded grants that came out to a total of $3.6 million. Our heavy hitters in terms of grant activations this last year um, are Martha Howard, Jennifer Meadows, and Julie Baker. Um, Martha does a lot with um, early intervention and early intervention systems in Tennessee and across the state and works to provide services to families who need those early intervention services, and, and it's comprehensive. Um, Jennifer Meadows, she does a lot with Battelle and the U.S. Army grants, and she's providing excellent programming for students um, in STEM fields. And then Julie Baker, who serves as our associate dean, she's been awarded two Grow Your Own grants um, over the past two years. And those are from it's federal money that trickles down to the state um, and that's another alternative pathway for preparing teachers, and it is quite a heavy lift. But we also have other people in the college who are um, being awarded grants for lots of different things. We have Derek Edwards, um, Angelica Galvan, Nicole Henniger, and Janet Isbell 
are just a couple of examples of other folks who've been awarded grants in the past year. So I'll tell you a little bit about Derek's, um, Dr. Edwards' um, grant research. He has a responder health lab. Dr. Edwards is a firefighter himself, so this naturally aligns with his desire to support first responders. His responder health lab is a partnership with Rutgers University and the University of Miami, uh, and what they do is assess and prevent cancer among firefighters. So Dr. Edwards and his students recruit and onboard and they're this, with this particular funding. Um, they're working with 100 volunteer firefighters across Tennessee. They collect biological samples from these participants, and um, they process and prepare these for analysis and then ship them off to Rutgers for further analysis. So again, it's just one more really awesome opportunity via research um, because of its direct impact on the emergency responder community. And we've seen a lot of cancers and a lot of other diseases emerge from first responders who are doing heroic work, but they're interacting with firefighting foam, for example, or, or other. They're going into buildings that have collapsed, and there's just a lot of carcinogenic material there that we have to understand to help them be safer in what they do. Most definitely. And if there is somebody who has the disposition um, to deal with these really tricky issues, it's Dr. Edwards. And you also, reading the annual report of the college, I noticed um, Dr. Corey Glaceman was doing some work on CS for All, computer science-related activity. Tell us about that. Okay, Dr. Gleesman is a rock star in the computer science world. He is serving as a core community team member for the Computer Science for All Accelerator Program, dubbed CS for All. Um, CS for All is it's the national hub of the computer science movement with a mission to make high-quality computer science an integral part of K-12 education in the U.S., it's designed as a cohort model, and they have local communities designing and engaging place-based teams to roll out rigorous, inclusive, and sustainable computer science in those schools. So Dr. Gleesman leads the Nashville team, and they're working with six other communities across the country, Denver, Colorado, Detroit, Michigan, Duluth, Minnesota, Miami, Florida, and Washington, D.C. And the intent is to just get more and more students interested in, excited about computer science. There are great careers there. Most definitely. So it's really creating and sustaining that pipeline for computer science. Well, and uh, we need to talk about a young lady from Overton County that's been on your faculty now for some time, too, who has won the university's uh, outstanding research award, the Kapliner Faculty Research Award. Dr. Holly Anthony is, if I'm not mistaken, from Overton County. Is that right? That is correct. Um, the Kepliner Faculty Research Award was established back in 1984 to honor the late Dr. Charles Donald Kepliner, former Associate Vice President for Research and Dean of Instructional Development. Um, this is awarded annually to a faculty member for outstanding research accomplished while employed at Tech. This year, Dr. Anthony, Dr. Holly Anthony, um, was awarded, was recognized with the Kaplaner Faculty Research Award. Since her time, since she began at Tech, 
Um, Dr. Anthony has been prolific in securing externally funded grants to support teachers. Um, if you talk to her, she, she'll share her reasons um, for getting into higher ed in the first place. And she talks about her desire to support teachers and helping them to have a greater impact on students. And she's really made the mark um, with all of the external funding that she's been awarded in order to help her achieve her goals of supporting teachers. It's a big deal. It's pretty impressive. It is pretty impressive. And I think it is the first time in about 25 years that a female faculty member has won that award. That's pretty impressive for Holly. It is impressive. And it's been quite a few years since somebody from the College of Education has been awarded. Dr. Dean Ritchie and um, John Wheeler, it's been a while since those two were awarded. Yes. Yeah. I remember when they, they received it. And Holly, uh, she teaches in mathematics education. That's not an easy field to teach in, so that even adds more glitter to the importance of this award. It sure does. Holly is our our secondary ed um, math educator faculty member, and she also teaches in our STEM education PhD program. So her, her goals in supporting and helping those math teachers because they use a lot of manipulatives in their classrooms, and those things aren't inexpensive. So when she can support those teachers and help them learn via best practices, it's it's very impactful, and they're better prepared. So, And like you said, math is, is challenging. We know that we experience um, a lot of our students, our teacher candidates, will have to take the, the math licensure exam more than once just because sure. it's really challenging. Um, so we're, we are excited about the university recognizing Dr. Anthony's achievements and in, in placing value um, on supporting teachers. Well, congratulations to Holly. And um, uh, we're going to take another quick break, and then we'll come back for another second. This is Local Matters. We will be right back. Welcome back to Local Matters. We are talking to... Dean Lisa Zagumni from Tennessee Tech. And um, Lisa, we're talking about a wide range of topics in the field of education, but we we need to recognize we're still in the beginnings of a new school year. Uh, let's brag a bit on our P-12 teachers, the folks that are out in the county school systems. They've got a wonderful job, but it's a challenging job, isn't it? It sure is. And I am happy to spread, share kudos um, for Educational professionals, teachers, um, they have one of the most demanding jobs. At the same time, they it, it's an incredible profession. So teachers hold specialized disciplinary knowledge like all other professionals, but they also possess the specialized skills necessary to perform their responsibilities. Teachers are the heartbeat of communities where they serve not just the students in their classrooms, but the families of these students. Just a little piece of information we know from the research. On average, teachers make 1,500 decisions per workday. <laughs> that makes me tired just thinking about it. So if they can't tell you what they want for dinner, you know why. So we've all been a student in a classroom, and good teachers make it look easy. What we didn't see as students in a classroom are the hours of professional preparation, the hours of instructional preparation, the hours of constructive feedback to students to move forward, and the hours of continuing education. Teachers are dedicated to student success 
and know how best to serve these students and their families. And I grew up with a mother who was a, a teacher, and so I saw those summer classroom activities moving away to a university to get advanced work or uh, the the nights preparing for the next day or grading homework or whatever. Uh, teachers do a lot. They just plain do a lot. So we want to say congratulations and thank you to all the the teachers that are doing this this great job. Most definitely. Please reach out and thank a teacher today. And let's go ahead and talk to um, parents and, and potential students about uh, joining that, that great field. Uh, there is still demand for teachers across the nation, isn't there? There is. Um, we have, well, we've had a national shortage for a while, um, and it, it's it's a little tricky to figure out why we're having a shortage. There are so many things that are at play. So we have high levels of teacher stress, you know, COVID and coming out of COVID. We have more and more positions to fill because we have more schools, we have more students, but we also have a long-term decline in people pursuing teaching as a profession. And then we have more competition from jobs outside of schools. So we've experienced this increase in teachers retiring at the same time we're experiencing a decrease in people pursuing the profession. But there are opportunities and we have multiple pathways. You know, we still have our traditional pathway that you can come in as an undergrad and go through four years of school and take your licensure exam. And we prepare, we really prepare you for those exams and those high stakes assessments like EdTPA. Um, and go out and be a teacher. But we also have alternative pathways like the job embedded we talked about earlier. Um, We have a lot of people who decide after graduating that, you know what, I want to be a teacher even though I didn't pursue that on the front end. So they'll come back and take a master's program, which will lead to licensure. And we have a handful of those opportunities that are only available at the advanced level, um, like library science and instructional leadership school psych, school counseling, and also the reading specialist. So we still have um, all of those different pathways. So if that's something you're interested in doing or second career, you could do that as job embedded too. Um, So if that's something you think you're interested in, do not hesitate to reach out. We can connect you with the school district tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah, it's, um, it's amazing how many opportunities are out there and they are great jobs, and there's a high probability that you'll keep that job your entire career if you want to, and if you're good at it, and if you're good at it. Well, uh, we talked about some partnerships, and uh, you, the college has always had great partnerships with county schools, but let's talk about one you've got here in Putnam County. Uh, you do a special tutoring initiative in partnership with Putnam County Schools. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um, This is something that's come about sort of at a national level almost. There's been this real interest in supporting teacher candidates to serve as tutors in schools even before they start doing field placements, um, before they um, do their final year in a residency. So we managed to get some support from a nonprofit group based out of Austin, Texas, Um, to help us in our partnership with Putnam County Schools. So Putnam County Schools is our primary partner. 
district. But our ed prep program at Tech is partnering with Putnam County on this tutoring program. So initially, the program was intended to help communities design local responses to the learning disruption caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. So with funding from ESSER grants, federal money, the district was able to hire our teacher candidates to serve as tutors. It's a great way for teacher candidates to get even more experience working with students. We have a couple of um, superstars that served as tutors this past year. Megan Jennings and Rebecca Garber are just a few of our teacher candidates serving as tutors. And what's super timely about this is Putnam County was just able to hire an additional 30 teacher candidates to serve as tutors this upcoming year. So it's really important that, well, one, that we're working with our primary partner, Putnam County, in rolling out this tutoring program, two, helping to meet the needs of the schools and the students, um, with you know enriching these opportunities for our candidates and their K-12 students. So we're real excited about this opportunity. Well, let's talk about another local program you've got that a lot of folks in Cookville certainly have taken advantage of, but it's, it's a much broader program. On campus, you have a child development laboratory. Tell us what that laboratory does. Sure. We've had this for a few decades now, but it, it's... It's just a feather in the cap of Tennessee Tech. It's a uni- university-based lab that centers learning through direct experiences, direct experiences with the world, direct experiences through interaction with other children and supportive adults. So young children are provided play and social opportunities where each child is guided toward their respective optimal development. University students work in the lab Uh, to develop their professional knowledge, and this isn't limited to teacher licensure um, candidates. It's really just an incredible place for young children. And Angie Smith is the fearless leader over at our, we call it the CDL, over at the Child Development Lab. And Angie and her team do an incredible job preparing students and serving the young children. We could double capacity today If we had the space and the personnel, we have a waiting list of over 200 children whose families would love to see them at the CDL. So the more we graduate, the more we can get in. Another great example of uh, tech students getting some great experience and serving the community while they're while they're doing it. So that's uh, uh, that CDL has always been, as you say, a feather in the cap for Tennessee Tech. Well, let's uh, let's move to a little bit more of a uh, uh, a firecracker issue nationwide. Uh, there, there is a bit of a shift going on, uh, a bit of a debate on public versus private education. Talk about that from your perspective. What is the the big value to private schools, and what are the threats to public schools? Yep. Um, This one's a little tricky because those of us in traditional ed prep programs have been formally educated in the mindset of supporting public education. Um, So it it can be a struggle a little bit to start thinking about how this shift, how this potential shift would move opportunities and resources away from public schools. So public schools in the United States – were established as common schools in the early 1800s by Horace Mann. 
And these schools were intended to be universally available to all children, free of charge and funded by the state. Um, They were established as a um, public investment in education that would benefit the whole nation by transforming children into literate, moral, productive citizens. So ideally, common schools were intended to improve social outcomes. Obviously, this is an idyllic view of public schools that does not begin to speak to the problems of access and segregation and so on, but universal education on a theoretical level was really meant to uplift communities. Private schools don't necessarily carry that same intent to serve all students um, with a standardized curriculum for the benefit of all. Universal education was intended to help students be problem solvers, to think for themselves. Um, And my biggest concern in terms of privatizing formal education, I, I worry about federal legislation like the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act that Congress passed in 75, that that wouldn't necessarily be required to be upheld if our schools shifted to an entirely private model, um, finally referred to as IDEA. This gives right to and protects kids with disabilities from birth through high school. But this public-private debate, it's a historical phenomenon that typically arises when we're experiencing sort of heightened political matters. So it's something that, you know, this pendulum will swing back in a different direction um, and we'll just keep going back and forth and doing the best we can. Um, County commissions and governors, they're, they're all swinging back and forth on that pendulum. And there's, there's no right answer to this, but it, it is an active debate, and uh, I appreciate your, your perspective on it. Um, and I appreciate your perspective on all these issues we've talked about. We're going to have to close this program, but I want to thank you again for the the great leadership you uh, are providing to the College of Education and um, all the great things that are going on there. It's great to have you. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Thank a teacher. <laughs>